Today I've, uh, I've titled today's message, A Uniting Faith. And I will tell you that the title uh, came long before the message came. Uh, so I'm, I'm confident, uh, more so than I have been some other times that I've stood in this spot, that this is what God wants us to hear this morning. The key verse that we're going to be looking at is Psalm 133, uh, just the first verse. So if you wouldn't mind, let's read that together. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Will you join me in prayer? God of the universe, I come to you this morning bearing the responsibility of proclaiming my church family, the truth and the power of your word. I do not take this responsibility lightly. I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would be the one speaking. Open our ears, minds, and hearts, and whisper into our spirit in your tender and gentle voice the words we need to hear this morning. Amen. Last week, uh, a friend of mine and I made a trip to Tennessee to assist my brother Dennis in doing some work that he was doing on his lake house. Uh, During the drive, we both noticed that the farther south we got, the greener things became. There were more buds had disappeared, and now leaves were replacing them. And we were reminded that the changing of the seasons is still occurring. And the promise of renewal that we look for in creation each spring and the lasting warmth of summer will in fact arrive, putting an end to the intermittent spells of cold winter weather that has been so prevalent these last couple of weeks. After all, Tennessee is not Pennsylvania. Okay. That's all right. Uh, That's all right. Does that not look like us? (laughs) Where am I supposed to point this thing? I got you. All right. Welcome to Pennsylvania. Winter's at 6 a.m. Spring starts at 10. Summer comes in at about 2 Fall begins around 4.30. Dress appropriately, (laughs) accordingly. Change. Oh, too many changes. Now I won't back up. You had one job, April. (laughs) One job. Get spring to come. (laughs) Well, we've all experienced the surprise of waking to scenes like those last month this past month but happily april is over and today's the first day sunday of may we typically observe the uh, sacrament of communion on the first sunday of each month and we will be doing that today may finally here we're beginning to emerge thankfully from an unprecedented time where our lives and traditions including those related to corporate worship practices have been interrupted Our response to this has been reflective of a deepening polarity we have been experiencing in our country. We are divided politically, racially, culturally, 
and spiritually. Is there anyone here today who has not felt or sensed this division? I doubt that anybody we know could answer yes to that question. This division is felt by everyone, and I cannot imagine that any one person is going to be able to fix it because the polarity is deep-seated and expressed in the idea that unless we agree, which we do not always, you are wrong. If you don't agree with me, you're wrong. And that's the position that we're, we're hearing over and over and over again. Well, I want to suggest that this scripture indicates that as Christians, we should be in agreement. Now, I also contend that attaining that agreement is possible. But only if we understand the areas that God expects us to agree on and how he makes such agreement possible. Now, there are a number of scriptures that point out where we should be in agreement. And Paul gives us two pretty specific examples in his letters to the churches at Philippi and Ephesus. First, let's look at the Ephesians passage. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. Now, I highlighted that verse because I think that's the, the key to all of this in this letter. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then in Philippians, well, I've got that print pretty small. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's any comfort from his love, any common sharing of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but to each of you, to the interests of others. That's hard for us. That's hard for us. We spend our lives kind of wrapped up in ourselves. We talk to ourselves all the time. So that means that it's our voice that we're listening to all the time. And because we're having this ongoing conversation with ourselves, we usually convince ourselves that we're right. <laughs> that we're right. In both of these passages, we see clear instruction about what it means to live in unity, to have like-mindedness. It means humility, gentleness, and patience. This means we cannot stand in our own viewpoint and just shout down those who do not hold to that viewpoint. That's what's been going on in America for at least the last couple of years, and especially since all of this unrest that we're reading about has started. Now, I'm not saying that we should abandon our position on matters, especially where what we believe is consistent with the word of truth. 
But I think it means holding on to that belief and communicating our stance in a manner that invites dialogue. Now, doesn't the scripture say we're to be gentle and patient, bearing with each other? That is humility in action. But I, I'm not a patient person. If somebody comes at me with a, a viewpoint I know is wrong, I'd get wound up. And any patience I have with someone like that goes out the window, and before I know it, I've given them a response that is anything but gentle. Proverbs 15, verse 1 says this, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I had this experience. I didn't know this verse at the time, but I was in a kindergarten room, so it was before I started teaching at the high school, and I had, uh, I had taken some cassette tapes from the AV storage room so that I could do something with them, but I hadn't asked the AV guy if I could take them. And he came charging in to Lois Eisenhower's kindergarten room, where I happened to be, just loaded for bear. And he said to me, do you know anything about the missing cassette tapes? And I said, yes, I do, Art. I, I took them because I needed them. I'm sorry I didn't ask you. And a transformation came over him. And he said, Okay, well, next time ask. He turned around and walked out. And I mean, I was shaken because I've seen, I had seen Art in, in a number of moods, and him angry is not one that I wanted to see very often. And Lois Eisenhuth, my good friend, said to me, Do you see? A harsh or a, a soft answer, a gentle answer, turns away wrath. And I never forgot that verse after that day because I'd seen it happen. How many times do we see that happening? And how difficult is it for us to make it happen? We always have a choice about how we respond to someone else. In the heat of the moment, however, such a response, gentleness, does not come easily, let alone automatically. But it can it can come easily. These characteristics, humility and patience and gentleness, they're among those that Paul lists as part of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, I want to point out to you that there, this is, does not say fruits of the Spirit. There is one fruit. There's one fruit. How many of you like pie? How many like fruit pies? I used to, I never had a fruit pie that wasn't just one flavor until I found Marie Callender's Razzleberry Pies. And I want to tell you something. 
fruits can have a variety of flavors. And I want this variety in my character. I want these nine elements to be evidenced in me. And I will tell you straight up, they are not always there. They are not always there. It's a work in progress. I'm saying it's possible to consider others above ourselves, to speak to them in gentleness in a way that values them in spite of our differences, and to do so authentically when we're submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit. This is something that requires us to be aware of our own condition at all times, but especially when we engage with others who don't see things the way we do. How do we do this? There are three things that are necessary. First, we must have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You can't conjure up this stuff. You can't just decide on your own, well, I'm just going to be humble today. I'll just be chill. No one's going to get me wound up. And then something happens and you come home and you want to kick the dog, if you have a dog. I have fish. Kicking the fish has never crossed my mind. (laughs) But we've got to have a relationship with God, and Christ is the only way to do that. We have to admit that we've messed up by going our own way and doing our own thing. We have to realize that we are separated from God by an attitude of independence, that holding on to our own ways makes any efforts to connect with him impossible. Only by accepting that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, bore the penalty for our arrogance and pridefulness. Can we become connected to him, our creator? And such a decision requires that we turn away from the path that we're on and instead turn toward him, toward God. This positions us to receive his love and forgiveness and invites him to begin the process of remaking our hearts and minds. That change, slow as it sometimes seems, yields this fruit that we've talked about. This fruit that Paul says describes those whose life has been placed in his hands and transformed by his love and grace. If you do not have that relationship with God, I urge you to let that begin today. Without it, you will not only continue to experience the pains and frustrations of life, but you will be sacrificing the opportunity to be connected with a God who is good, who loves you, and who will carry you through any hardship or loss that comes your way. A God who will become more and more important to you And as he does so, as the hymn says, the things of earth, the worries, the frustrations, the ups and downs, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Second thing, we have to understand that prayer is an essential element in this transformational process that we call sanctification. For most of us, our prayers are petitions. We're asking God for favor and intervention for our own lives and for those that we love. Now that makes sense when we realize that the English word for prayer means to beg or to ask. 
Well, we, we mix in a little praise and thanksgiving and, and tell God that we love him and appreciate his goodness and, and how he expresses that toward us. But true humility requires an element in prayer that we sometimes overlook. There's a word in the Hebrew language, tefillah, which is translated prayer. To Jewish people, this word did not mean to ask God for things. Rather, it was a time for self-examination, a time to compare their actions, behavior, and attitude against God's holiness. Now, I submit to you that if we would apply this to fill an understanding to our prayers, we would immediately see how broken and shallow we are compared to God, especially in the area of holiness. But by doing this, we would be opening ourselves to receive from him more compassion and love as we realize how he wishes for us to be totally dependent on him. This would spawn a godly humility in us that would empower us to demonstrate compassion and love in such a way that it could not help but impact others. Finally, we should be intentional each day to live a life of faith. C.S. Lewis once said, all right faith is the art of holding on to things that your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing mood now does anybody here go through a day and just stay like at one level as far as your moods go or are we like up and down and like that that's kind of how life is isn't it things are going along pretty good and you turn around and get smacked in the face by something you don't expect This means that we hang on to the truth of God's love for us through every circumstance that comes our way. In the past three weeks, Sharon and I have spent every Saturday in a church, at a church service where the lives of dear friends who had passed away were celebrated. Three weeks in a row. Our own Butch Mothy was the first week. Lois Eisenhuth, the teacher friend that I mentioned, was last week. And yesterday was another teacher friend, Mary Kirkpatrick. All people of great faith who were called home to the presence of God. At Mary's service yesterday, her daughter said this. Mary, before she died, had said to them, that her passing would be much easier for her than it would be for her children. And Robbie confessed that that was in fact true because Mary's faith was solid as the rock that Christ built the church upon. Faith sustains us in this life and allows us to face death unafraid. Just like Butch did, 
just like Lois did, and just like Mary did. David Wilkerson, author of The Cross and Switchblade, said this about faith. As I look back over 50 years of ministry, I recall innumerable tests, trials, times of crushing pain. But through it all, the Lord has proven faithful, loving, and totally true to all his promises. Faith in Christ allows us to live in him and be empowered for the mission by him. He gives us the kind of faith when we ask him for it. We're designed to live in dependence on God. When we're weak, he's strong. When we are foolish, he is wise. When we don't know what to say, he gives us words. We are the students. He is the teacher. Telling us if we're willing to listen, which way to go. Faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. Oswald Chambers. There's proof as to whether or not we live by faith, and it's demonstrated by how we are walking with Christ. I will tell you, some days I do better than others. I know I cannot walk as Jesus did in my own strength. I have to have faith in him to empower me to do so. Faith in myself is okay for the self-help section of a bookstore. But if that's what I'm relying on, man, I am heading for destruction. If Jesus said he could do nothing without hearing from the Father, why do we think we can? Will these three things make a difference? Having the relationship with God, understanding and prayer and, and being active in it and being intentional to live a life of faith. Will they make a difference? Is God serious about this unity thing? Does he really expect us to be united? Well, consider these scriptures. Paul writes this to the Corinthians. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. I say that's an indication that the answer is God serious about this is yes. And then Peter writes this, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. In the fruit of the Spirit, what's the first evidence of the fruit? Love, followed by joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control but love is at the head because that's the fabric through which all of those other threads are woven and Jesus himself in what we call the high priestly prayer says this my prayer is not for them alone 
I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Faith in God is the key to unity. God's design for us is a walk of faith. Faith in Jesus opens up a new way of living where we are empowered by his spirit in us as we allow him to work through us. How are you doing in that? How are you doing? Are there relationships in your life that are characterized more by your differences of opinion than by love? compassion could could you use some patience kindness gentleness self-control if those are lacking in your life you need to ask yourself if your relationship with christ is is what it should be because only a real relationship with jesus is going to make those characteristics even possible and if your life is missing them and you have that relationship with god then you can ask, why, why isn't this being evident in me? Why am I losing my temper? Why do, do different news stories get me so riled up inside? Why can't I have a conversation with friends who politically sit on the different side of the aisle from me? What's blocking out that fruit that should be coming from the Spirit within me? Well, whatever it is, figure that out. Confess it. Only then can you and I begin to make the kind of difference that will encourage reconciliation. The kind of reconciliation that only God's love can accomplish instead of the division and the hatred that permeates our society today. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are plenty of people in our life with whom we do not see eye to eye. Sometimes those people are sitting in the same room for worship that we're in. But our faith requires more of us than to amplify the, the divisions that we have. So I pray today that as we prepare for communion, we can, would consider where we are, that we would understand that communion means having the same mind, believing in the same things.
make today's communion with each other the first step in living more in the spirit of reconciliation than in, than in a place where we dig in our heels and say within ourselves that if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. Make that possible in us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we prepare to take communion, let me encourage you to consider carefully those questions that I asked earlier. Communion is for those who believe and have accepted the gift of forgiveness and grace offered only through Jesus. In the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians 27 to 29, Paul admonishes us not to, not to make this celebration one that we take lightly. He writes these words. So then, <clears throat> whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. We don't read that very often. But that's what God's word says about this. So let's not take it lightly. Let's take a time right now and quietly reflect on our own lives. <clears throat>